Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Andrew Maxwell. Got the ginger bow hunter, Mr. Jacob Myers, here with me. This is the first episode of the year 2020 and the decade of the 20s, so that's pretty cool. Uh, today, we're hitting like coastal bucks, you know, South Alabama, Panhandle of Florida, Southern Georgia, with William Dadgummit. How do you say your last name again? Rozier. Rozier. Yep. I'm terrible with last names. I'm sorry. 
Um, so, w- William, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you're from, and, and we'll kind of get into this. Uh, I'm I'm from the southern Georgia area, North Florida, pretty much right on the border near the Okefenokee Swamp. Um, I'm 40 years old. Uh, I'm a construction superintendent, and we pretty much work near uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I've been hunting since I was three years old, literally shooting deer and turkeys out of my daddy's lap. So I've, I've been in the game a pretty good while. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jacob, how are you doing this decade? Uh, doing excellent and really excited about this hunt. Uh, William, I, I gotta, I gotta mention this. Really what got this started is, uh, you know, us kind of going into this weekend and having a guest kind of fall through and. Uh, I saw a post that you posted on one of the pages uh, about this, you know, mid-February, February, I think it was the 8th through the 17th uh, hunt, a uh, muzzleloader hunt in Florida, kind of during the middle of the rut down there. And it really piqued my interest that I had to reach out to you, man. And I'm excited for us to kind of talk about that. Um, you know, I think one reason why I'm excited is because it's after, it's you know, after at the end and after our deer season in Alabama closes. Uh, pretty much everywhere else in the southeast is going to be closed by uh, the middle of that hunt. So it's a way somebody can really extend their season, hunt some, uh, you know, a little bit of running activity, but use their muzzler down there in Florida. And it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to do that trip. Uh, so, William, how long have you been doing that trip down there actually to, you know, hunt the Air Force Base and everything uh, for this muzzler hunt? We we started about fifteen to sixteen years ago. Uh, same same as y'all, you know. We uh, we had a guy. We actually were hunting in Alabama, and uh, was coming back through Georgia. To, uh, I got some buddies that live in Jacksonville. That's where most of my friends uh, are from. And um, they we we talked to this guy that hunted over there, and he said, "Yeah, it's just a a, a management area in Florida that's open uh, end of February." And we were like, what? You know, in Florida, are you crazy? He's like, no, it's actually a rut hunt in Florida. And, you know, we couldn't believe it. So we started doing our research on it. And um, the, the first year, the year before I started going, I had two buddies that went over. And uh, they came back hooting and hollering. One of them killed about 120-inch nine-point the, the first day he was there. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, it, it, it's not that easy. But... He just he got extremely lucky and killed a really good deer the first day he was there, um, and you know then I, I couldn't help it. We talked about it all year. Uh, you know, after the hunting season's over, our rut you know in southeast Georgia, North Florida, is in October. So something that can get us you know through the year, especially after Christmas and in the springtime turkey season, you know this this would be a hunt that we could do. And uh, it's it's a nine day management area hunt, and uh, it's on Eglin Air Force Base, and uh, I believe it's roughly five hundred thousand acres. I believe it's a little more than that, but um, but you can pretty much hunt on half of the base. Uh, it's about two hundred and twenty five to two hundred fifty thousand acres. Um, but we we went over the the first year fifteen sixteen years ago. And just fell in love with the place. It's, it's some of the prettiest woods you have ever seen uh, in the South. I mean, they they burn it religiously. Um, everything is very well managed. They they go in with crews and cut out uh, all the loblollies and all the uh, sand pines out from under 
uh, all the long leaves. So it's, it's pretty much a reforested long leaf pine uh, plantation. And uh, you can see, you know, in some spots over a thousand yards. And, you know, hunting with a primitive weapons, either archery or muzzleloader, it gets pretty rough, you know, trying to see that far. So. So I'm guessing this is is this pretty similar like if you're if you're familiar with it driving through like a Apalachicola National Forest like those longleaf pine savannas down there is it pretty similar to that terrain? Yes, sir. Uh, there there is you know in Apalachicola there's a little more swampy area to it. Uh, this this is I mean it's all yellow sand. I mean everything is sand, and there's a couple good rivers, uh, the uh, Yellow River, and I'll run through Eglin or right beside it. <clears throat> and that is really the only river bottom type, um, you know, terrain that you see that's thick. Everything else is up on the sand hill. And when I say up on the sand hill, I mean 40 to 120 feet out of these little creeks up on the top of these sand hills. Um, and it's, you know, palmetto patches here and there. But it's mostly just burnt over long leaves, and other than the rolling terrain where the creeks are, I mean, it's it's pretty flat. How often do you um, think they burn that long leaf? Oh, Jesus! They they got a a schedule, uh, and we seen it about six years ago. We actually they were launching a missile off of one of the cruisers that were out in the Gulf. And they made everybody, every hunter, everybody that closed down. There's three main highways. They closed both of those down. One goes actually from Crestview all the way into to, uh, Destin. And this uh, I-85. And, I mean, they, this is a four-lane highway, and they shut it down. And there are ro- ro- range patrol people sitting in the road and not letting you go. So we were literally got up that morning to go hunt, didn't know anything about it. You know, they make you look at a, a PAM map. It's a personal personal access map every morning and every afternoon to see if each section that you're hunting is going to be closed because uh, they do military exercises. So we got up that morning. We looked at our PAM. It was a little bit before 5. It still didn't show anything, so we got in the truck. We went to lift, uh, leave. We went to the store, and we got down the road, and there was, somebody with flashing lights on. So we got up to him, and uh, he said, the road's closed. And I'm like, well, we're trying to get, you know, right here to hunt. And he's like, well, you can't hunt on Eglin today. So we sit there for an hour. He said, I don't, it, we, it could open in an hour. It could be all day. So we sit there for a little while and started talking to the, the, the range patrol guy. And he, we was talking about the, the biologist and all that stuff because we were fairly new over there. We had only been hunting it you know, six years or so. Um, and this place is so big, like, you can hunt it for six years and not hunt everywhere. So <clears throat> we, we started talking to him and got, to, you know, he's like, you know, they burn, I think, every section, every four years, unless unless it's small, uh, small saplings. And once they get up to 12 years old, I think they start burning it and put it on a cycle. Mm-hmm. So it's it's religious. Everything over there is uh, crusty. <laughs> yeah. So just to, like so, I'm guessing the the I mean, pretty much that whole environment is probably pretty uh, monotonous. I guess like it's all kind of the same. I'm guessing not many no, edges. No, there 
there's sections, you know, that they burn, and then there's sections that they don't. Mm-hmm. They kind of let it grow up a little bit, and it's more of the hardwoods. It's it's all sand still, but it's more of the hard trees, the you know, the, your laurel oaks and your water oaks and stuff like that. Um, and it's a really, really thick, really thick place. Um, and they might come in and burn it, you know, once every 15 or 20 years just to clear the ground, but there's, you know, oak thickets in there that, you know, it's just like for us hunting back over here in South Georgia. Uh, but you can drive down the road and there's a, a you know, a, a tank trail, pretty much a sand tank trail that separates two blocks. And on one side of the road, you can't see a hundred feet. On the other side of the road, you can see a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's literally how different the terrain can be. Well, so just kind of, again, like building on like this landscape thing before we jump into like the hunting tactics. Uh, what is a lot of that ground cover like? Um, is it, is it grassy or palmetto or briars or what? Uh, there's, there's a mixture and each block I can say is different. It's not, it's really not all the same and it depends on how long it's been since they burn it. Um, if you come in, you know, right after a fresh burn, I mean, it's trees and black ground and sand. Um, I, I don't think it's a hot burn. I think it's a pretty slow burn, mm-hmm. uh, but it gets the majority of everything, even the palmettes. Uh, you just got stubs, you know, stickers sticking out here and there. Uh, in some of the other areas, the, the thicker oak areas, um, you, it still looks the same. Just the leaves and the ground brush has burned up a little bit and I guess can let new forbs and grasses and all come up and grow, but you can't see, you know, more than 100 yards in any place in some of those blocks. <clears throat> um, but in, in some of the areas that hasn't been burned in four years, uh, it could be five, six foot tall uh, sapling oak trees, um, and bramble, briars, uh, palmetto thickets, you know, four or five foot high. So there is a wide range of environment there that you have to hunt. And like I said, I've, I've been hunting there for 15 years, and we still haven't hunted every block that we wanted to hunt in that place. Mm-hmm. You know, you get hung up on the ones you like, and, and you hunt about 10 out of all of them, you know, and there's other places that you ride by going to one of you're like, man, I really want to hunt there. But, I, you know, I know that there's there's deer over here. You know, there's 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 a buck over here. I've seen a scrape or a rub, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, do you have anything to, to ask on that? Well, not necessarily that. I know this is going to be kind of a, a segue closer back to, like, you know, the beginning of the conversation. Um, but something I just want to hit on early in this episode which is William, you know, what is kind of like ballpark pricing uh, for like your license and permits and everything that you need for this hunt uh, and kind of go back over like the dates and everything. And, and how do you go about like planning this trip? Are you there all nine days or what do you normally do? Usually we try to hunt. We're, we're there the Friday before the season opens to scout. Uh, and when I say scout, I mean burn the dirt roads up to try to find where, the most deer sign is pretty much and it's all sand roads and this time of the year you know you have cold fronts come through so the 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 roads are kind of wet so you can get a really good um 
idea of which block there's a lot of deer in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's 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 kind of hard because you, if you when you go over there and you hunt, it's it's not like hunting anywhere else you've hunted before. Um, it it might you know you you could ride down ten roads and see ten deer. Or you could ride down one road and see ten deer. You know, it's 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 different in any block, every block you go to. Um, but what were some of the other questions you asked me? Yeah, you know, for someone that says you know they want to extend their season, kind of go back over the dates again of when this hunt is, and also like ballpark pricing for you know your hunting license and your permits. Like, what are we looking at for possible like a ballpark total? Okay, well, as far as dates, there's there's several dates that actually uh, there's there's three gun seasons I think, and each one of those seasons I think are about a week or two weeks long. Um, and I've hunted those, and I'm gonna tell you right now, don't waste your time and go over there for any general gun season because it, the bucks just don't move. You can see those for days. And you just will not see any bucks. Um, I can't tell you why, uh, but it just it just you you see you know you go to the check station you might see one deer one buck the whole time you're there for two weeks. So those general gun seasons to me the people that are over there hunt and probably know their honey holes and where the deer are and all that stuff you know. And they have the best of luck. But if you're an out-of-state hunter going over there and you have no idea where you're going and all that, it's best not to go over there during a general gun season. Um, and there's three of those, and they are spread out uh, over the course of a regular Florida hunting season. <clears throat> and then you have a late primitive weapon season. I usually call it a muzzleloader season because we all use muzzleloaders when we go over there. Because we've tried to archery hunt over there, and uh, it just does not work for us. Um, but that is from, uh, I believe, it's February the 8th through February the 17th. It's nine days, I believe. Um, and we are usually there the Friday before we go scout uh, to kind of get our bearings. Because generally, we know the blocks and areas we like to go. So, um we just kind of drive around those and, and find out, you know, where the deer are, if the deer are moving, if there's not any sign there, you know. Um, and we kind of spread out, you know, because we go there in a group. There's usually between 10 and 15 people been going over there for ages, so we all kind of go over there and hunt together. So we all get a good idea where we're going to hunt and all that stuff, and we're there from that Friday before the season starts, usually through the next week, um, that Saturday, Sunday, and even in the Monday. The Monday, I believe, is the President's Day. Is the last day that Monday it's it's on, and that's the season closes. But usually we are gone by that Monday. Usually there's been so much pressure, so many people, so many deer killed. Um, that and usually the rut's starting to tail off a little bit, so we usually don't make it all nine days. And plus, if you hunt as hard as we do, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't. You, you, I don't think you can stand nine days straight of that kind of hunting. So, because I mean, we usually pack our lunch to our stand with us. We leave, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. You know, you got to be off of most of the management units. 
by a certain time, and it's usually right at dark. So you got to be out of your tree before dark. You got to get to your truck, which is usually, you know, if you're a walker, you you know, mile or two, maybe three miles away. So you got to get to your vehicle and then drive the umpteen miles back to the you know, the check station. Uh, and then you know you, we all gather, we eat somewhere together, and we go back to the hotel room, crash, take showers. We're up again the next morning at you know three thirty, four, four thirty, and uh, we're back at it again. And you know by the time you get <laughs> seven, eight days of that, you uh, you're pretty wore out. Um, but kind of going into some of the pricing, um, there's there's two different setups for Eglin. Um one is it's 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 run kind of by the state and it's owned by the government. So you need all of your Florida state hunting uh, stamps, and uh, usually both of them combined is usually between you know one hundred fifty and one hundred seventy five dollars. Um, the actual Eglin permit that's included in this is is about twenty five bucks, and that's for a seven day hunt so usually that's what we get and usually we're we're gone by then so um but there is a 55 dollar permit from eglin that you can go all year round you can turkey hunt you can deer hunt during you know gun season you can you know do everything and uh but i've i've done it i i've turkey hunted over there turkey hunting is actually fun it's, it's pressured birds don't gobble much but it's it's fun hunting um but to me, it's just not worth the $55 on top of your Florida fees uh, to be able to hunt it all year, especially that general gun season because you just you don't see the deer at all. So, um, gotcha. Well, no, I was just saying that. Well, that, that's kind of interesting just because the pricing is not super crazy, uh, you know, to do an out-of-state trip. As you are a non-resident coming from South Georgia, so it's not, you know, really, really expensive. And then also, you know, you're getting in, you know, a late season hunt that, you know, at that time of the year, there's, I don't think there's any other season other than Arkansas that's still in at that time. Arkansas goes to like the end of February and they're crazy as heck to all of our, our Arkansas listeners up there. Um, but uh, that, that's just really cool because you can kind of extend that season. And you're talking about staying in a hotel. So I'm guessing that there's pretty decent accommodations, whether you're in a camp or if you're staying in a hotel close by. <laughs> I'm uh I have a wife that that um uh, that that likes nice things. These <laughs> <laughs> accommodations uh in this little town um really don't fit her. Okay. Uh, there there's you know there's there's some you know average I would say you know two star hotels and then there's some that are very cheap. We'll put it that way. <laughs> and usually that's what we used to do we it used to be all guys um until a couple of our wives started hunting um and my wife loved to hunt so um she started going with us so we had to move up a little bit um and but it, it's still not horrible we it's 50 bucks a night you know and usually we get a room with two beds in it and we have, you know, they're queen beds, so we have somebody, usually somebody splits the room with you. So, you know, 50 bucks a night, you cut all that in half, you know, it's really not that bad for a hot shower and a bed to lay on, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that could uh, definitely make or break a trip, too, because it's nice to come back to a decent bed and a hot shower, especially after you've been hunting for a few days. Um, so that's a bonus. Now, another thing I want to touch on, and then we'll kind of get back into the tactics and everything, because I know Andrew really wants to jump into that. But when it comes to um, just the opportunities there, you know, you're talking about your wife's been going with you for a little while. Uh, you know, what was like your success kind of early on? Like, did it take you a few years to kind of start having success on this hunt? Or was it something that, you know, you kind of quickly picked up on? Uh, I picked up on it because a couple of my buddies went the year before I started. Um, and usually the group we have, I mean, I can say these boys are, you know, 100% hunters i mean they they hunt south georgia in the thickest swamps and the nastiest everything so these boys can hunt and uh we all went over there the the second year and uh, they kind of said look it ain't like you're thinking it's it's different hunting and he he pretty much said you know i think i got lucky <laughs> and uh they they seen a ton of deer uh they they seen one the one shooter that he shot and it, Eglin was a little different back then. You could, uh, they had different management units, and I only had one, I believe one or two that were uh, three points on one side. Uh, and everything else was, I believe, a spike or a forked horn. And you could kill two deer per day every day during the hunt. So they they seen a lot of deer. They were kind of, picky about what they shot and he got lucky you know that afternoon um so the next year we went over there i'm gonna tell you right now i've seen the most does i have ever seen in my life i've probably seen 60 to 70 deer and every one of them does i I had one buck um that come out on me and this will lead into another long story we might get into later but um it was um he he played cat and mouse with me. There was I was in a big open pine flat. There was a big oak thicket on the other side of the tram road behind me. I mean, thick you can't see in it. And I was grunting and uh, bleating, and I had uh, doe and estrus out on a couple of of, of drop cross. And uh, he he knew there was something there, but he also didn't want to come out of that thicket so I could see him um, and it, it's like I said it's different hunting I mean they they know where they where it's thick at and they know where it's wide open and they move accordingly and uh, you know like like the guy in that movie the Patriot they called him the ghost are <laughs> ghosts I mean it's you can't just find a spot that has a scrape on it and sit on that scrape and expect to see a deer because that deer's got to go a half a mile in the other direction to find an oak tree to make another scrape on under so uh but my wife uh she's only been hunting and i think this would be her third year um my first year i didn't i didn't kill a deer um my second year i killed a a decent nine point, probably just barely breaking a hundred inches. Um, and she killed a, uh, a very good deer last year, her first deer over there, um, which would be her second year. And, um, uh, 
she killed a, a, a pretty nice eight point, uh, almost 20 inches wide. Um, they're, they're kind of thin horned over there unless they're really old deer. Uh, you can find a six, seven year old deer over there that has good mass, but most of them are kind of like a Texas deer. They're wide, uh, and not very big thickness around. Um, but the width can give you inches pretty quickly. So, uh, he was another deer, you know, in the nineties, close to a hundred. Um, and, and she was pretty tickled about him. So let's kind of dive. Uh, well, I'll say I have one other question before we really kind of start diving into these hunts more. So, uh, you mentioned to me, uh, when we were on the phone before we started recording, that it's not just this one Air Force base. There's other places like this that have some of these hunts. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Uh, I know there's one pretty close by, and I can't. The name is evading me right now, and it's actually north of Eglin, uh, closer to the Alabama line. And I can't call the name of it. I had a buddy come over that uh, that hunts with us over here, and uh, he come over there and started hunting Eglin, and uh, he said, "Well, I'm gonna run up here and, and look at this other one." Because we went and rode through it, but we've never hunted. We've always stayed on Eglin, uh, close to Eglin. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to go up there and look at it. Um, black. Oh, man, I almost called it. Um, but he, he went up there and looked at it, and he said, I'm going to hunt it. So he sat that one night, and the first night he went over there, he killed a, a nice seven point. Um, okay. And this, this was before the Florida rule went to four points on one side, though. But he was, he was still legal. Got you. Now, uh, so, you know, there's different opportunities to be able to hunt this kind of later season, so that's pretty cool. Well, Andrew, I'll kind of let you take it away from here. You know, what do you want to jump in kind of first going about this hunt? Uh, Let's take it from square one. I mean, I want to talk about bedding, and I want to talk about food and and all that kind of stuff. But first, it sounds like to find deer, you said that you were just kind of driving roads looking for tracks. Can you explain that process of, you know, when you first get out there, what you're doing to actually locate some deer to hunt? Well, this actually started because 90% of us over here, and I don't think y'all can do it anymore in Alabama, but we we dog hunt. Uh, We still hunt, but we dog hunt too. Uh, And from an early age, dog hunting, you ride roads early in the morning before daylight. You find good buck tracks going into blocks. You circle those blocks, and you see if he came out or not. And if he did come out and went in the next block, then you circle that block and see if he come out. Um, but when you find him in one block, then, you know, you surround the block and, and cast dogs and, and see if you can jump the deer and get a shot on him. Pretty much the same way over there. We beat roads. All the roads are sand. Um, the, the main road going through... Uh, is actually like a clayish now. They put they put a, a really a lot of clay on it to build it up because it gets really bad when it rains. Um, but that's really the only road you can't track in the middle of the road, and there's so much traffic on it. But you can see the sides of the road, and it separates several really large. Um, when I say really large, I mean twenty five thousand acre management units which for most of us is one hunting club, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, we just go in, we all split up. Like I said, there's a group of us from, you know, 10 to 15, maybe more. Um, we all split up. We go to our usual places. You know, it can be different units scattered out 
I mean, I think from one side of this thing to the other is uh, 40 miles or maybe more. Um, it's the, the rut can actually change from one side of Eglin to the other. That's how big it is. So um, we, we just go out and we scatter, and we go around blocks and find uh, the bigger tracks that we believe. You know, there, there are some big does, some older does, but uh, some some tracks that we think are bucks in several blocks. <clears throat> and if they're in the block that we like to hunt, you know, that next morning if we go back through there and he hasn't come out, then we'll try to go in and hunt that block. Um, and it just gives you a kind of an idea of how many deer are in the area and, um, you know, how many deer you can expect to see while you're sitting, you know. And if, if you've got three or four, maybe five good, really good-sized deer tracks going to a block, I mean, you kind of think if you can see in most of that block, you have a really good area of maybe seeing a buck. So, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of using everything you have as a as uh, as a hunter, literally more than a hunter, actually a woodsman. You know, you you have to use every tool over there uh, because most of it is just luck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so, I mean, so when you're going out there and, and searching for a spot, I mean, is, am I right to say that it's pretty much entirely sign on the ground, like tracks on the ground rather than, you know, any kind of map scouting or, or looking for any kind of habitat feature or anything like that? Well, for us, usually not anymore because we know the spots that we want to hunt, but you know, if, if we... For some reason, and y'all probably know in Alabama, you get these fronts um, in, you know, the late season that brings this cold down, and it's usually really hot the day before, and then it rains like all get out, and then the next morning you wake up and it's 22 degrees. Oh, yeah. And that's how we got it in Florida. I think it was last year. We woke up, and there was snow in West Florida. So, which that's crazy for us, but mm-hmm. um, we we uh, we we went and found good sign and got up, had a front come through, started raining, so we had time to kill. So we go and and either we ride in roads or we get together somewhere and we're looking at maps, trying to find you know areas that we haven't hunt that uh, that we want to hunt, you know, and uh, different different places that maybe could hold a book. I would say that that, that may be the only thing uh, that you could use over there that, you know, most people use to hunt, you know, bigger bucks with is thickets. There are some thickets. They're scattered. They're, they're not plentiful. Um, and, you know, you might have one per block. You might have none per block. You might have four per block. So you might, you know, say, hey, there's four thickets on this block, so let's go hunt it. You know, maybe there's a deer in there. So you get in there, you find some sign, and, you know, keep remembering you have primitive weapons. You have a, you know, a stick and string, or you have a loader. So you find one thicket that you want to hunt that you, you know, got deer signs going in and out of, and or this block, and you set up on it, and, you know, 500 yards away, uh, downwind of you, 
you see the buck come out the thicket that you should have been hunting and uh, has smelled you and, and is across the road and gone. So it's uh, it's a big game of luck. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned thickets. I kind of want to hit on that. Uh, do you see any kind of consistency with bedding within those thickets? I mean, are deer kind of gravitating towards those to bed, or do they just kind of do other stuff when they're bedding? I, I've seen both. Uh, and... All the time, it's, it's not one set thing. Uh, like I, I, I told uh, Jacob earlier, I've seen them bed down fifty yards in front of me and lay there all day mm-hmm. in a wide open pine flat. And then I've sat on a thicket and watched thirty deer funnel from all different areas of a big pine flat into this one thicket. Uh, but none of those were booked. I've sat on other thickets to where I've seen five or six deer, and every one of them were bucks, maybe not shooters. Um, I mean, literally, it's 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 luck. It, I mean, you can get yourself there and raise your chances, but I don't believe you really ever get over you know fifty percent. But because there's so many deer, because it's the rut, because there's deer chasing, and the amount of deer, then you really have a good shot at killing a buck. Um, but there, there's really nothing consistent. Everything you know about whitetail deer hunting, other than a scrape and a rub and a thicket, you can throw out the window. Mm-hmm. So is, is pretty much everything a food source as well? I mean, I'm assuming they probably have plenty of food just throughout the landscape to feed on out there, right? Uh, like I said, it's, it's sand, uh, and I don't know, I don't know exactly the terrain where y'all are from, but usually you hear the saying that if this broom straw, broom sage, then the ground is usually poor. Mm-hmm. So 95% of Eglin has broom straw on it, broom sage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it usually means the ground's poor. So you can find these areas and these blocks that haven't been burned in, you know, four or five years that actually have a very good amount of ground cover that is four to five foot tall of young mass trees, you know, like white oaks, laurel oaks, red oaks. There's a ton of red oaks. And you can walk through those areas and you can see where the deer are nibbling and biting off the buds on the end of the trees. And that's that's literally all they have to do. They they stand up from where they're at. They bite off, nibble on some trees. They move fifty yards and lay back down. There's there's really there's some blocks. There's some blocks that actually have large oak trees in them, and a couple of us have found blocks that are kind of secluded that actually have really big white oak trees or persimmon trees on them. But that's very few and far between. And usually, even though it's secluded, you're not the only one that knows about it. Because there's people that's been hunting this thing for 40 to 50 years. Yeah. And, uh, if, and you know, how public land works, if you're there first, you know, you get pretty much the spot you want. But that don't mean right there before daylight, somebody don't come in there and get on top of you. You can point flashlight at them, and, you know, do your best to try to let them know that you're there. But... The, you know, most of the time that doesn't matter. They're going to yeah. climb right there within 
a hundred yards from you and act like we didn't see you. So I'll tell you um, what, one one of the hardest lessons I not to get sidetracked, but one of the hardest lessons I ever learned when I was like really getting into public land is no matter how remote your spot is, no matter how overlooked you think it is, somebody out there knows about it. Like, man, I cannot tell you how many times I've found a spot where I'm like, this is, I'm the only human being that knows that this is here. Only to have just all kinds of people eventually come in there on me. Happens all the time. Um, but, um, uh, there, there's areas over there that you can only hunt on the weekends, uh, mm-hmm. like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday type thing. And these areas are walking only. They're 30, 25 to 40,000 acre blocks. There's no road to get in the center of it or the backside of it or even one side of it. There's a road that like goes around half of it or there's a road that just, you you got to go from the main road. So you can walk for six or seven miles uh, oh, wow. to get back in these places that you want to go to. And you think that, you know, you're all alone. You haven't seen anybody else. You haven't seen any vehicles. You ain't seen no sign. There's, there ain't even no tracks in the road when you drove in, you know, after the rain that night. And you can walk seven miles in there and climb a tree. And I promise you, when daylight gets there, you'll see orange, you know, <laughs> thousand yards away in a tree. You know, it's just, it's going to happen, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or you see a ladder stand. You, you're walking through the middle of this pine flat, seven miles from the truck. You know, you're wore out from toting the climber because everywhere you go, you got to tote a climber. And there's somebody that's drug a ladder stand in there. I mean, mm. that, that's some some of the boys are dedicated now. I'll give them that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's no really defined food sources is what I'm I'm getting from you. Or it's at least really difficult to find kind of a defined food source. I mean, for the most part, the deer are kind of browsing around on random things. I would say it depends on the area that you're hunting. If mm-hmm. you're hunting in the swamps um, of the of the of the rivers or creeks, the very large creeks that come down, uh, there is some mass. There's 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 oak trees and acorns and stuff like that, especially this time of the year. Um, not usually your white oaks or your fruit trees, your persimmons and wild apples, crab apples, stuff like that are already gone. Uh, they're usually gone, you know, bow season. But there is some hard mass oak trees and stuff that that do drop in those areas um and there's there actually is a large population of wild hogs over there so uh you can find you a good red oak tree and as you know deer really will eat red oaks but they don't necessarily like them because their tannin is so high they like you know more white oak type trees that has less tannin in them and uh you know, you'll see a deer track walk through there, you know, you know, every couple of days maybe. And then you come in one day and the whole place under the tree is destroyed. And you're like, man, I guess the deer find them. You go over there and it's a hog track. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they all kind of compete for food, you know, as you know. And um, you, you can find something good one day and the next day it's gone. So mm-hmm. it, 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 I, I literally, everybody I talk to, it's it's all about luck, but because there's so many deer over there, you have a good chance of killing a buck. So, yeah. Uh, how many 
I've, I've got a question. I got a butt in here real quick. You, you keep talking about like, you know, it sounds like a pretty high deer number uh, in, in the air deer density, you know, just kind of give us like, what's a ballpark? Like, you know, if you're going to go hunt a spot that you've been scouting, you know, there's some deer in there. I mean, what's a ballpark figure you might see in, in a day on, on one of your better spots? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's literally, I mean, you, you go back to actually trying to deer hunt here. Uh, you know, weather fronts, how hot, how cold is it? Um, and if, if you're sitting on a food source or you're, you've actually found some buck sign that you're trying to hunt some way, you know, or you're sitting next to a thicket, there's really, there, I mean, it, it all depends on what the area is that you're hunting. Um, I mean, you could see, you could see, you, you could sit all day and not see a deer. I've, I've, I've did that. I've sat all day over there, which is not, not very rarely, but I've, uh, well, it, it is very rarely. Um, I've sat all day and not seen a deer. And there's days that we've sat two or three hours in the morning because there's a really bad storm coming. And, uh, you know, before the storm gets there, we've seen 30 deer. I mean, it, but, but it all depends on the, the block of woods that you're hunting. Um, I, when I was talking to Jacob earlier, where I made a post on Facebook, um, I, I posted a video on there, and literally I'm in, a, I'm in an area that was burnt maybe a month, two months before we got there. So, you know, general gun season probably. And the forbs on the ground, the grasses and forbs and everything are just starting to sprout. They're about three inches tall. Uh, and this place looks kind of like a cow pasture with trees in it. Um, and there's deer tracks everywhere. So I go in and I find me a spot to hunt. Literally, there's absolutely no buck sign. I'm hunting this on pure food source, trying to deer hunt deer like we do everywhere else in the United States and not this place. Um, so we... We went in there. There was three of us. The hunt of this block, there's probably 4,000 acres, and all of it's burnt, the whole place. Um, and within 20 minutes, I had eight deer, eight or nine deer does in one group, one wad, single file line, coming through the woods and literally almost come under my tree. Uh, they're about 20 yards to my left. One doe kind of turns and comes toward me and again we have muzzle loaders it's wide open so you're shooting deer if you know 100 150 yards so you're not worried about a deer that's right on top of you pretty much because if it's a shooter you're going to shoot him and you ain't worried about it um she made a turn at 20 yards and spotted me 40 foot up in this pine tree with absolutely no cover um didn't didn't blow didn't kind of backed up a couple steps and went with the rest of the deer kept looking at me as she walked and they pretty much walked on but that was nine deer in one group no bucks all of those and ranging from one-year-old fawns all you know one-year-old yearlings all the way up to grown mature floppier six seven-year-old does um but it, it, it i've seen i've seen groups of four or five six bucks at a time over there during the root which had us kind of wondering what's going on but there there were no big bucks there were no what we call shooters they were all you know three points or forked on one side uh big spikes um and they're all together i guess because they're not at the age where 
you know, breeding is not their number one thing. They're trying to uh, stay away from predators and because there is a large population of coyotes over there. I, I can't say that. Um, and But, you know, just a group of, you know, six to eight bucks in, in an area that, that ruts really hard is kind of kind of weird when you see it, but I've, I've, I have seen that over there also. So it uh, I go back to all it depends on the block you're in at the time. It really does. Which is really cool. I, I, again, I told you this when I first talked to you. Everything you're telling me about this hunt is extremely fascinating because it's nothing like anything I've ever hunted in my entire life. I have absolutely no experience when it comes to hunting stuff that you're talking about, which gets my ears perked up because I'm like, dude, this sounds like a cool hunt to experience myself, especially once our season goes out on the 10th, freaking head south and, and you know, hunt, you know, for a few days down there, I think would be a really cool trip. Now, a question I want to ask you is, you know, the first year you came down, you had some intel from one of your buddies or a couple of your buddies that had hunted, um, hunted there before. Um, what was like the biggest kind of aha moment for you when you first started hunting down there? Like, what was the first thing that you started doing that you're like, okay, I can kind of find deer doing X, Y, Z. Was it riding the roads or what? Like, what was that first thing you started doing that you're like, okay, I can start locating deer like that? Well, my first aha moment is when we turned out of Crestview and uh, went into one of the management units, and you could see a thousand yards in any direction and just wide open. And you're like, you know, oh, man, you can see a deer coming forever. You know, so, you know, you can just go climb a tree out here and see a deer. No, mm -hmm. not really. <laughs> So you go, you go in these blocks, and I was thinking the way a southern Georgia deer hunter thinks, I'm going to find me some rubs and scrapes. I'm going to find me some buck sign. So uh, we go over there, and he's like, you know, I hunted this block last year. Let's go in here and scout the day before, and let's see if we can find some buck sign. And we went in there, we found buck sign. We sat on that sign, me and him sat on that sign, with perfect wind for three days. And didn't see a deer. Not one yeah. deer. Come in every morning, the scrapes are cleaned out. Um, fresh rubs, you know. But they're they're doing it at night. So we were like, okay, let's move. And, and where are they bedded at? You know, let's get between where they're bedded at and where the scrape line goes. Where does the scrape line tell us that this deer is coming and going from? Well, we started looking for the other scrapes or the other rubs, and there was none in this block. So we found where he crossed the road. We actually tracked the deer through the woods because it, it's sand in places where it's burnt. We tracked him where he crossed the road and went into another block that's wide open. There's one single live oak tree that's probably 60, 70 years old, big limbs hanging all the way to the ground, uh, and under every limb that got close to the ground, there was a scrape under it the size of a truck hood all the way around the tree. And then you look from there, and there's no thicket. There's no there's no scrape line. There's no rub. There's nothing to be in a scrape line on. So we're like, you know, how are we going to hunt these things? How, you know, how? So we started, we started just 
just hunting, just just going in a block with a large deer density population, climbing a tree as high as we can so we could see the farthest and try to see bucks and grunt at them and rattle at them and see if we can make a difference. And that's how we started killing deer. We, we go in these big areas or we go in these areas that have a thicket in it and we do light grunting and rattling. And, you know, by the time you're leaving there, it went from light to pretty heavy uh, grunting and rattling. And, you know, usually one of those days in a wide open area that you have not seen a deer in for three hours, you can grunt and rattle and set your stuff down and in 20 minutes, you know, kind of look around in areas that you've been looking at the whole time and there is a nice shooter buck 100 yards from you looking up under your tree because he heard that deer grunt or rattle or, you know, whatever. And you're like, where did, where did this deer come from? Where was he? It's like that he just just come up out of the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's sagebrush and stuff, but there's no thicket for him to hide in. There's no, you know, there's no creek that he was in. And, and I mean, he just come up out of flat dirt pretty much. And the, the color they are is what I think helps them over there. They're more of a really light tan, like a pecan tan. Uh, and they blend in to the sagebrush really, really well. Um, if the, if you watch a deer move and he stops, if you look around and try to look back, sometimes you can't find that deer and you know he's there till he moves again. Um, and they have a little different color features than deer I've seen in the other states I've hunted in. Uh, they have some black not really strong black, but some black pigment on their hairs between, on their nose, between their eyes, up on top of their forehead, and down the top of their back. So again, I don't know if that's when they lay down on all fours, you know, that that they kind of blend into the burnt surroundings. And that's something that they've, you know, changed metabolically over time, you know, evolved into. Um, but if it's, it's, it's not, we thought it was foot. We talked to biologists, and we killed deer, and you can't rub it off. It's actually black hairs on the deer. So um, it's they, they, they have the tools they need to stay hidden from you. That is 100% positive. Now, one thing that you mentioned that really has my uh, kind of piqued my interest is you talking about calling. And, you know, it seems like you're calling quite a bit and having success calling. Is that something that y'all try to do every year now and have success doing so? Is this calling down there? Well, out of the group of, let's say if all of us goes, let's say there's 15 people. Usually in that group, you have some of the people that can't break the mindset of where we live at over here and how the rut works here. So... Over here, if you rattle or you grunt, if you grunt lightly, you may get away with it. But if you grunt hard or you rattle hard in South Georgia, North Florida, 90% of the time, any deer anywhere close to you are leaving. I can't tell you if that's from pressure, if they know that's a human, or just they 
there's not really that many big bucks, and they know they better get out of that area. But it actually works on Eglin. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna say because we've twisted it up and did things that I would never do <laughs> anywhere, and has had success. Uh, I've grunted loud. My buddies and them started using those buck roars. Uh, I think it's by Primos. Mm-hmm. And usually, a lot of times, we sit in the same blocks or blocks close to each other. So they have grunted so loud, you could hear them from five to 600 yards away. You could. It sounds like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the deer, I, I, like I said, it's not going to be every time. But we've had decent success with it. Uh, usually, our scheme of how we've come to it and what has been working—not all the time, you know. Deer's not—it's hunting. It ain't, you know, it ain't catching. It's actually going to hunt. You might not catch nothing. Uh, but we we got to where about every fifteen minutes, as soon as you start, you start that morning when you start grunting and rattling, we'll grunt very softly. And we'll just tickle the, the horns or, you know, your rattle bag or whatever you got. Just barely tickle them. And then we wait. And usually in the morning, I wait longer than I do in the afternoon. Don't ask me why. It just works for me. Um, so as the day goes on, I get louder and the time increases. I usually never do a series closer than 15 minutes, though. Uh, usually it's all, you know, 15 minutes or over. And I've, for some reason, I'll, I'll look at my phone and keep it to where I'm not overdoing it, you know. Um, but it's 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 paid off. I mean, it really has. Over the years, we've killed a lot, a lot, a lot of deer out of that place grunting and rattling. And, I mean, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of times that we've grunted and rattled uh, maybe maybe too aggressive too early, and you know watch that deer appear out of the dirt, you know a hundred yards from you that you didn't see standing there, and you know we watch him flag that white tail as he's leaving. So it, it's worth it's worked both ways. I mean it really has. Now another question I got to ask you: when y'all are you know grunting and rattling, I, again you you touch on different tactics whether you're sitting in a place where you can see really far or you're sitting close to you know thickets or something but do you try to hunt someplace close to a thicket where you think deer might be bedded as well to try to do that or does it really not matter to you uh it it, it again it all depends there's a lot of factors there's, there's really a lot of factors you go over there with and I, I can't tell you that in a straight answer i really can't because i when i go over there for the seven to nine days we hunt i hunt every different way i can if i'm not successful i'll i'll hunt thickets um i'll hunt a scrape near a thicket i'll hunt wide open areas that i know there's a lot of deer in um i'll hunt thicker areas uh, that's that's actually where i killed my my eight point from last year was for one of the thicker areas uh oak trees with some some uh, long leaf in them that hasn't been burnt in a really long time, I would say 15 to 20 years, because there's 20-foot oak trees in there, uh, and they're everywhere. 
and uh, I pulled the deer out of another block across the creek, which I found the the, the deer crossing, and I was sitting on the creek crossing uh, in in the thick oak trees, and he had a scrape about I say eight hundred a thousand yards from me that I couldn't see, um, and I got in that morning early, and uh, the day before actually. My, me and my wife were sitting in the same in the same block, same area, and she had two bucks fighting uh, within fifty yards of her. And she said that she has never heard anything like that. I mean, they were. I mean, literally, you would see it sounded like lions roaring, like at each other, and I mean, just an all-out brawl. And uh, she she was texting me on the phone. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I don't know what this is. I think it's deer, but they're hollering. And I'm like, what do you mean they're hollering? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're, like, hollering. They're, they're, like, grunting, like, really? Like, like, I've never heard anything. They're, like, cows moving. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. And then they, they broke and come, like, beside me uh, within, you know, maybe 100 yards or so. And I heard them come by me both of them and i guess the one had lost so he was leaving and the other day was chasing him off um but the, i mean they came by me and it sounded like i heard a buffalo and it was two deer but it's so thick and so low to the ground they're running through all this bramble you know and just making a crap load of noise so <laughs> the next day i said we're gonna kill this deer we're gonna go right back in their same spot and we're gonna grunt and rattle so we went in there and grunt and rattled, and the deer come across the creek. I had her set up more up on the hill a little bit, and I was setting down closer to the creek bottom. And I thought the deer were going to be in the thicket up there where she was again, and the deer actually come across from the other block, come through the, the creek crossing, which was, I mean, you can tell they walk through there. It's two foot wide, two foot deep where they cross this thing at. And uh, I seen him, I seen the tips of his horns when he come through the creek there, and he come, you know, I, I waited, and he didn't come. He started to turn the other way, and I kind of real lightly grunted at him. And he turned and come on toward me, got within 50 yards broadside, and I shot him. And he pretty much fell right there. And she's like, was that the deer you just shot? She texts me, and I'm, I, I answered her back. I was like, yeah. I was like, he hasn't moved yet, so I don't know if he's going to run. Just keep your eyes open. He's like, I can see him. And I'm like, what do you mean you can see him? She's like, I, I saw something, and then I looked over there, and now I can see the deer laying there dead. And we were hunting 300 yards from each other. But she just had a good line of sight right where the deer fell. And I was like, I don't, I can't see him. I might can see the top of his horns, the top of his back or something, you know. But I know right there where he fell, if, if he left there, he, he was crawling off. So, um, But I killed a, a decent eight point last year. And uh, something else I will add, if you go hunt Eglin, uh, get you a deer cart because you're going to need it. <laughs> if you, well, I mean, if you hunt close to the road, I mean, you know, it it won't be that bad. There's areas that you can hunt close to the road; it won't be that bad. But if you're a go getter and you get deep, you get miles from the truck. Uh, the, that sand on those roads over there is unforgiving, and you're trying to drag a deer or tow a deer out in that sand is rough. I mean, I'm I'm a big guy. I'm six three, three hundred pounds, and you know, it, it, it's 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 a hassle toting some of those deer, dragging some of those deer that, you know, are 130, 140 pounds is the absolute most uh, through sugar sand. So uh, get you a deer cart uh, about 10 years ago when uh, Sherpa um, made started making their stuff. I went on their mm -hmm. website 
Sir? No, I was agreeing. Yes, the Sherpa. Uh, tree stand carts. Turns your yes, tree stand into a cart. I bought one for my summit. It turns your your summit uh, Viper or Titan. I have a Titan. Uh, turns your summit climber into a game cart, and you can strap everything together and tote it in with you, tote it out with you. So uh, you can actually put it on, put your cart on wheels, and wheel it in there if you want to, which has helped several times. But uh, you can strap it to it. I think it weighs six or seven pounds, maybe something like that. Uh, which on a you know six or seven mile hike in the woods, six seven miles out it can start wearing on you a little bit. But if you kill a deer that far away from the truck and you can't get to it and you have to drag it in that sand, you will really wish you had toted that seven-pound Sherpa in there with you. But, oh, that's uh, very true. I was going to ask, uh, do they allow, and I don't know if you've ever had this, do they allow uh, you to pack out a deer if you were to, like, quarter up and pack it out? Would that be legal, or do they have to have the full body, like, when you go to the check station? Uh you know, I believe they want the full body uh, attached to the head, mm-hmm. and they they but they keep very specific details on most of these deer. They uh, they weigh them, they measure them, they take jaw samples uh, for age. I mean, most of the, the what they call the management area. Uh, groups they really stay on top of the biologist really does his work um, you, you know a lot of people don't agree with what they do a lot of people do you know it's not their way of hunting they want to kill more deer they want to kill smaller deer they want to kill bigger deer you're not gonna make everybody happy but they actually work over there for the hunter uh, to try to make the most biggest deer possible so um, but I believe he has to be together he can be he can be gutted in the field, he can be field dressed, but I believe he has to be intact when he gets to the check station. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, most. Uh, I've got some other friends that punt military bases, and they're exactly the same way, like you can field dress, but you have to bring them out whole. Um, I think that there is management areas, that, I mean, management sections of Eglin that are not managed like some of the other. They're not actually management units, as they call them. Mm-hmm. Um and I believe those you don't have to go through a check station, so you probably can quarter him out and tote him out, as long as you have the head and the jaw on you. Mm-hmm. If the game warden, you know, uh, if the game warden, you know, checks you, you got to have the head and the jaw for that meat. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the worst thing that goes on with us over there because we got 15 people, and usually we kill. I'm saying most of us usually kill bucks. Maybe one person to kill two, maybe three won't kill any, you know, when we go over there. So we have a pretty good bit of, of deer, you know, deer meat and all. So usually we leave coolers in, in the, the hotel rooms with ice on them. Um, but the deer head, you don't want to leave in a hotel room. So the deer is usually riding around with you in a truck and... <laughs> So probably two or three of the days is going to be quite warm, usually. And uh, that's the only thing is you're toting this deer head around with you for seven days. For seven days um, if he's big enough not to fit in the cooler. <laughs> hmm. So, so uh, that, that is one of the downsides. One thing I, I got to ask about here is, is there anything down there that you've used that, that really, you mentioned a creek crossing, but... 
Uh, is there anything down there that you use to really funnel deer or at least, you know, persuade deer to move past a certain point when you're trying to find an, an actual spot to set up? No, sir. No, sir. Not at all. I've, I've tried, I've tried funnels. Uh, I've tried areas that are clear cut. I mean, literally they, they've come in and cut every tree in the place and they've left a strand of trees in the center of it that goes from one block to the other. And you go in and it's absolutely ate up with deer sign back and forth, but those deer are just not using it in the daytime. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, we have a lot of luck using creek crossings or hunting on, I, I, I wish I could get you to see it, uh, visualize it. Um, just think of, of a big sand flat uh, that has palmettos and stuff growing on it, a lot of underbrush like uh, broom straw and stuff. Uh, the top of the hill on each side, uh, at the top of the creek, uh, I say top of the creek, the mouth of the creek, I guess, from one side to the other, it's probably 300, 400 feet wide. Uh, and it drops off at about a four-to-one angle for 100 to 150 feet to a clear spring water creek that is about four foot wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's scattered pine trees, longleaf pines, scattered everywhere, and you can see every bit of both sides of the creek. Um, as you're walking and scouting, you know, we, we go through, walk down into the creeks, and right at the bottom of the creek, there's usually a trail. Uh, within just a couple feet off of the creek where they walk long ways with the creek. About 40 feet up, 40 yards up, I mean, uh, about not quite a quarter of the way up the slope, there's a good crossing uh, going along the creek. Uh, And all those kind of run together with other trails crossing in, in creek crossings. And then there's trails coming off of the flat woods, the flat part up there, uh, kind of coming down into the creeks, and you can see, you can usually see those trails because they are they're pretty rare, you know, pretty pretty mostly used. In uh, in a climber, you can see you know a big long sand line of where the deer have pretty much killed everything in that little trail, you know, a foot and a half wide, two feet deep, kind of like a cow trail. Uh, and those work work fairly well. Uh, you sit up. And I mean, I've been busted both ways too, so I can't really say it works every time either. So um, I've set just down the hill, a quarter way down the hill, and climb as absolutely far as I can. So I can see down the hill, I can see up the creek on the other side of the hill, I can see the flat on the other side of the hill, and I can see the flat on my side and see all the creek crossings and up and down the creek. Uh, that's worked pretty well. Um, if you can find those with some buck sign in the thicket, then usually you got a pretty good shot at maybe killing a, a, a decent deer if there's one in that block. Okay. Uh, but might get hung up on that, and you might think that there's a deer in there because there's buck sign, there's a thicket on a creek, um, and you got a good spot where you can shoot you know, 300 yards in any direction, and you hunt that for three days, and you see absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just that kind of look. Or you could get out of the truck one morning and say, I'm going to hunt this block. I don't care. And you can walk in there, 
300 yards from the road, you can climb a tree and the deer come right to you. Mm-hmm. Well, so <laughs> just, just we're getting... We're getting a little bit over an hour here, so we'll we'll wrap this thing up pretty soon. But uh, one of my last questions would be, what uh, what is the biggest mistake you see people make trying to hunt this place? Oh, biggest mistake. I would say not doing any scouting or um, finding areas that have a lot of people in them and trying to hunt those same blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as far as I can say, if you if you can and you're willing, leave the road and put your foot travel in, put your time in, wear some boot leather and find you a spot away from the road uh, that has a good thicket, that has uh, some buck sign and, uh, you know, maybe you'll get lucky. Jacob, you got anything? Man, you kind of took my. I was going to ask, you know, what would be a, a piece of advice for someone wanting to try to do this trip? Because this is definitely sounds like something right my alley uh, to be able to try to get in one last good deer hunt before turkey season comes in. Um, which I know, William, you talked about that. It's like your last hoorah before turkey season. Um, you know, w- when it comes to like planning that trip, you know, is there any piece of advice you'd give to somebody when it comes to this planning the trip and making it happen? Whether trying to invite other guys to come down or going solo? Uh, number one, you think it's Florida, but you better bring some clothes because I don't know if it's just on the Gulf there or what the wind hardly ever quits blowing. Uh, and there's some days that it can be in the twenties and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour and you have four or five layers on and you're 30 foot up a tree freezing to death. And you're like, this is Florida. This shouldn't be like that. But I would definitely overpack. I would take things that you don't think you would need. Um, my number one thing I take every year is a tree stand umbrella. Because it seems like every year we go over there, we have one or even two of these fronts that come through uh, to where it rains almost all day and we don't want to sit in a hotel room and we, we want to go hunt. It's not bad storms. you know. It's just a hard, steady rain all day. And, uh, you know, we bring ponchos, and that tree stand umbrella has saved me plenty of times. Um, I would say pack your lunch uh, in your bag with your tree stand and try to sit as absolutely as long as possible. Because most of the time, the time that you go to get out the tree to go eat lunch is when these deer are, are running does or usually right in the middle of the day over there. Um you know, uh, try to sit as long as possible. If you do have to climb down uh, to go use the bathroom or to go get lunch or anything, try to get back in there or get, you know, change spots and try to get back in a tree and try to put your time in because the more time you're in a tree over there, the more deer you're going to see, and that's going to give you a lot better chances of seeing a sugar buck. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Uh, you know, one thing that, I, we had talked about before uh, getting on this episode is uh, that you, you said that you, you believe they do allow uh, smokeless muzzleloaders. Um, so, you know, someone wanted to have a smokeless muzzleloader that where you'd reach out there and touch. Well, if you did your practice, sounds like an awesome place to use one. I know that's something on my buyer's list sometime in the future. Um, yep. I would I mean, check to make sure I believe they are legal 
but I would look at the Florida standard because I think I've heard of people that's actually used them over there, but don't take my word as gospel. Check the Florida regulations and the Eglin regulation because they're not exactly the same. Um, gotcha. Do use the smokeless muzzle water over there. I would check on those. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And also, one of the one very last thing I want to hit on, as you just mentioned it, uh, how often uh, when you're hunting out there, you know, you're talking like midday movement, uh, you know, from all the bucks that you've killed out there, you know, all the guys that you go with every year, you know, how often are y'all killing deer midday compared to like mornings or afternoon? A lot, a, a lot. I mean, you you can't nail it down to a time to be in the stand. I mean, you know, usually everywhere else you want to be in the stand at. 7 a.m. and you want to be in the stand at right at dark uh over there during the rut it's it's all day he could be there at 9 30 he could be there at 12 he could be there at 2 30 uh i think both of the nine points i killed i've killed at i killed one at 10 30 in the morning i killed one at 2 30 in the afternoon mm-hmm. and that's sitting you know trying to sit all day take you lunch with you take your breakfast with you eat in the stand, you know, drink in the stand, try not to get out if you got two pee in a bottle or whatever, uh, and stay up in the tree as long as possible. Awesome. Well, uh, Willie, man, we appreciate it. This has been a really fascinating episode. I'm glad we were able to make this happen, dude, uh, especially with uh, all of us having work tomorrow. Um, but, dude, it's it's been great talking with you. And definitely I'd love to follow up with you uh, just personally a- after you get done with this hunt. And, uh, and see how everything goes for you this year because definitely I feel like this is something on my list in, in a year or two or so uh, working around some work schedules because I think that would just be a, a great hunt to kind of end the deer season and cap off your deer season before turkey season hits, man. So thank you again for coming on. All right, everybody, that concludes the uh, episode about extending your season up into February and uh, going and hunting a very unique place in the Whitetail Woods. Uh, Mr. Myers, what did you think about that? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think um, – First of all, William knocked out of the park, uh, especially coming on at the last minute to make that episode happen. But, dude, I mean, he's really kept my wheels turning. Uh, that sounds like a freaking – such a cool hunt. Um, hunting a place with a – you know, sounds like a fairly high to a very high deer density. Um, and someplace totally different from anything I personally have ever experienced. I think that would be a really fun hunt, especially because of the time of the year it is. I mean, going into that second and third week of February – uh hunting rutting activity right before turkey season dude i think that's a great way to uh end your season kind of do a final cap to the season so, yeah so I, awesome. i'd agree with that that's pretty cool and i've always dude, wondered you know, about that place too um mm-hmm. being like like we'll go down to st george island every other year um to like fish and have like family vacation and everything and going to st george island from basically alabama and pretty much anywhere in alabama i guess uh, you end up driving through the Apalachicola National Forest, and that National Forest, man, like, I've always just looked out the window at that place and like, how in the world would I kill a deer in this area? Because it's like those pine savannas that he was talking about, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's huge, and it's a lot of property. I mean, it's massive. and Giant. When we actually get, when we get off recording, we stayed on the phone with uh, William for a little bit and uh, actually pulled up the Air Force base that we've been talking about on this, and, dude, it is so freaking big, dude. Um, you know, it's not as big as Apalachicola, but it is it is massive. Um, and it, it's just really cool. I mean, just looking on the aerial maps, it's so different out there. And uh, I think, again, this is a really cool way for someone to kind of extend their season 
personally, you know, anyone that's been on the running gun whitetail hunters page, we have uh, talked about possibly doing like some kind of cool, like a, uh, you know, public land challenge for the page uh, next year. And I know we've talked about like Arkansas a bunch because of how much public lands up in Arkansas, uh, like big tracks, but dude, I think that place would be an awesome public land challenge as like at the very end of, you know, pretty much everybody's season. It is the end of everybody's season. Uh, to kind of get in one last hoorah before turkey season. Dude, I think that would be freaking cool. Yeah, nice uh, send-off right there before turkey season. I like especially, it. Especially if I can double-check on the regs, and if they allow a smokeless muzzleloader, I would love to have one for that hunt, dude. I think it would be a perfect setup for that uh, that place, especially since how open it is. Um, William was telling me before we recorded that uh, he's got his muzzleloader dialed into 300 yards, which is impressive to say the least. Uh, and he's had to kill some deer out to like, I think he's like 260, 280 out there. Um, so, you know, you got to be able to touch one if you can because of how far you can see. But, dude, again, it, it was really exciting. I mean, that whole hunt and kind of like talking about how he uses calling uh, out there, uh, which definitely was not something that I thought he was going to talk about. He brought that up. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. We got to hit on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try and do some calling tomorrow, probably. Oh, hello. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, let's just kind of update what else we got kind of going on. I guess, well, this will be the last podcast that would drop to four ATA. Um, we got ATA later this week. Um, unfortunately, this year compared to last year, well, I, guess, I say unfortunately, the probably the buyers and everybody else enjoys it. Uh, we can't get in on Thursday. So ATA, Archer Church, though, uh, is going to be uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And last year, you know, media, everybody could go all three days. Well, this year they decided to do a buyer's day, which is Thursday. So you have to be either a retailer, a manufacturer, or a buyer distributor uh, to be entered into the show. So we're just going to be coming up on Thursday, hanging out uh, with a bunch of people, and I guess going to the show Friday morning. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Um, hopefully, so hopefully we don't have any snow. I don't want to have to deal with that crap. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, dude. But, yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully I can kill a buck tomorrow, and then I won't feel bad about going to ATA because man, did I find a good spot. Uh, we're all over him. We are all over him. me and Mark Turner again. Been hunting with him some more. Um, we've been working together a bunch, and he ran a camera out by this one place that both of us hunt, and he got like five different shooter bucks on camera, and one of them is a very cool buck. He's like a I think he's a seven point. Uh, he's like a big, fat seven point, big mature buck, and he's piebald. And my goodness, would that be a cool buck to shoot? So, if I shoot him, I'll go to ATA with a smile on my face. If I don't, then uh, I'm gonna be up at ATA the whole time. Like, man, I wonder what that buck's doing right now. <laughs> no, okay, you, you say he's piebald. Is he just a little bit piebald, like a little bit of white splotch, or is he like pretty splotchy? Uh, it's kind of hard to tell. It's a nighttime, or at least the photo that I saw is a nighttime photo, and it seems like he's got pretty big splotches on him. Um, like not, it's not like, you know, like you see some piebald deer and it's like dots on them, and then you see others that are almost like, like those like dairy cows, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, I think he might be more towards like that kind of dairy cow look. Um. But I don't know, like, what his back looks like and everything. It's kind of hard to explain. But I'll just have to go shoot him, or Mark will have to shoot him, and, and we'll show y'all. Dude, talk about getting that, getting him caped out, but also doing, like, a freaking either tan at hide or uh, – I, I would, Personally, I'm not doing a full-body mount. I think that's kind of ridiculous. But uh, definitely something with the hide. That's pretty cool. 
Oh, dude, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of other bucks in there. So, so the camera's in one spot, and we thought for sure, or Mark thought for sure, and I did too, really, with the area that it was in, that he'd be getting all kinds of daylight movement. Uh, put it on a scrape, and there's just no daytime movement on it. I mean, there's just no bucks coming by in daytime, which is really surprising because it was out in this really thick area, um, kind of in a funnel. Uh, so I'm like, well, maybe, maybe we need to gravitate more towards the edges. So I took, you know, Josh driver, his episode, I took some tactics from that and I was like, okay, well, what can I, what can I key in on here to, to help find something? Uh, cause you know, he's talking about like finding an area that's like a manifestation of what a deer needs. So, uh, basically Mark hunted one end of this thicket and I hunted the other end and I went in there and there's a... Uh, basically like a hard habitat edge there where three different kinds of habitat meet. There's like, you got some, some old cutover thicket. You've got, um, you've got a hardwood little streamside zone, and then you've got, um, some thick hardwoods, some hardwoods that are actually really thick and you got them all in this little one area. And then there's a saddle coming out of this, that thick cutover that drops down into what Josh driver would call a crow's foot right there. So I slipped into there and I was like halfway up my tree and here comes this buck running out of that, uh, out of that cutover and he gets down beneath me and he wasn't a legal buck. Um, I maybe could have shot him. I probably could have pulled my bow up and shot him, but he wasn't legal. So he just went on his way and then ended up seeing two more does. It was pretty eventful. And that was yesterday. Um, and last night, uh, I was like, Mark, I'm going to drop you this pin. If you're going to hunt in the morning, go in there because I really feel like it's a good spot. I feel like someone should sit that this morning. So Mark went in there this morning, and I don't even know what all he saw, but I think he saw like at least five or six deer or something, saw a couple bucks. So it's definitely heating up, but everything that we've seen is kind of smaller. So he threw a camera up in there, and I think we're going to leave it alone for like a week because the rut here should be really starting to kick off in about a week to ten days. So we're going to leave it alone for a little bit and then go back in there and check those cameras. And, and hopefully at that point, with the amount of does that are hanging out in there, some of the bigger boys will be kind of coming around in daylight to check them. So uh, yeah. that's the plan. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, my hunt yesterday was kind of not as eventful. Uh, anyone that's been following the Instagram story, <clears throat> which, by the way, if you don't follow us on Instagram at the Southern Outdoors, you might want to. Uh, anyways, <laughs> did a... Uh, I've got a lone wolf, this kind of sidetrack, but I've got a, a original lone wolf, uh, assault, uh, from like the late nineties. Um, and, uh, everybody, you know, that has those stands, love those stands because of how lightweight they are, but they don't have any platform adjustment leveling and they don't have any offset leveling on brackets or anything like that. So I bought a, a lone wolf, uh, ambush two new model, which is actually really new. They, I think they just changed the platform design. It was a different platform than what I expected to receive. But uh, anyways, took the hardware, uh, took the uh, the uh, post and the seat and the cables off the new one and placed on the old one. I get everything fit in there nice and snug and uh, got it working. And dude, it's freaking legit. But anyways, I couldn't go to sleep that night, dude. That was on uh, Friday night. It was like 11:30. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna freaking get my crap together and just drive, you know, drive in a certain direction. I won't say north, south, east, or west, but drive in a certain direction <laughs> to, to another management area that I've never hunted before. But I really wanted to dive in on it. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go out there. And there was a gun day or a gun hunt going on. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to 
go out there. I found a spot on the map that looked really freaking good. I was like, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to park on the side of the road right there and just go to sleep. And then I did it on the story. I was like, yeah, guys, I can't go to sleep. So I'm driving ever how long and ever how, what direction to get down there, get up there, get over there. And, uh, anyways, dude, did it. Got out there, uh, slept in my truck, slept in the car, right on the side of the road, found a place I could pull off. I went to sleep. Uh, alarm went off and, uh, I was like, you know, I'm gonna sleep a little bit longer. By the time I, uh, I did wake up, it was like eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, the good thing is there's trucks that had gone by me and they were hunting all around me, but I had this one drainage to myself, got in there and found so much deer sign. Dude. It was, it was ridiculous. What it was, was a, um, a creek system that went through and on one side of the creek, it was uh, those, you know, we people have been, we've had listeners and had friends of the podcast tell us, you know, we use the word or the term cut over or clear cut way <laughs> for, generically for, yeah. across the board. Yep, yep. They're definitely uh, like, right. Like, we'll, we'll call something a clear cut or, or a cut over that could have 15-year-old pines in it. Like, oh, yeah, it was a cut, you know, we're having this cut over. Well, it's not really a cut over, it's just regen pines, but it was cut at one time. Well, that's kind of this area. It, I'm calling it a cutover, but, you know, the pines are probably eight years old now. Uh, perfect thickness, open up underneath where, like, the deer can slip through, but super thick, lots of vegetation. Uh, unbelievable transition right there. And it was like the kind of, it was like a, um, I don't know the kind of trees. I don't, you know, Mark Turner, if he's listening, he'd probably make, make some, me not know my trees. Like, oh, it's, uh, it's green. Yeah, <laughs> no, but th- there were some water oaks down the bottom, but there was some other tree that was everywhere. Um Man, it wasn't. It might have been sweet gum. I can't. I'm not sure. But uh, this super thick creek bottom, like nothing like what I'm normally used to hunting, like creeks up here. Like, dude, super thick creek bottom. Tons of like it was like saplings, big trees, but tons of vines. And there's something in that creek that resembled mountain laurel, but it was not mountain laurel. So maybe someone that's listening right now knows what it is. They can message us. Uh, but very similar to mountain laurel. Do you have a um, picture of it? Heck no, no, man. Uh, I'm prepared like that. Um, but dude, and there's like cane down in the bottom, like cane that was like chest high, just thick, thick stuff, dude. And there was buck sign everywhere. Like dude, right off the road. I mean, big, I mean, dude, big, big, big tracks and everything's soft down there. So I can like see there's tracks everywhere and you can follow the tracks, follow the trails, big rubs, huge rubs. And then I found a really good trail about 120 yards off the road that kind of cut up into those short pines, uh, those younger pines from the bottom. It had a bunch of tracks on them, some rubs on it. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good spot. Well, I kept working down that transition um, down the creek. Found more rubs. Dude, in the creek itself, um, had, it was very kind of, um, well, I'll just say, it was kind of sandy. And you could see the tracks under the water where deer had, like, deer had come through that morning, and they weren't washed out yet. You could see it, like, inside the sand uh, under the water, uh, which was pretty freaking cool. And just kind of kept working down. Found another transition point where there's a drainage that came from the, uh, which is where I wanted to go. It's a big drainage that kind of came out of that cutover of those pines and kind of went down to that, uh, that creek. Got there, dude. And it was a cane hellhole. Uh, probably <laughs> a great place to hunt, but I actually did a video, put it on the Instagram store when I was in there. And dude, you couldn't see ten, you couldn't see five yards in front of you. Uh, even like where it opened up a little bit, dude, it was so thick. And uh, didn't really see any deer sign there. I kind of went far down the creek and swung back around the other hillside and found a bunch of feed sign over there. And uh, after talking to uh, Michael Pike, uh, I was calling you, but you didn't answer, of course. I think you were hiking <laughs> it at the time. Um, 
but uh talked to michael pike and you know i told him i was like you know i don't think the rut's on right now i think it, we're a little like, maybe a week or two out and i didn't find any scrapes or anything he's like well you know since the rut's not necessarily in that area i'd hunt that buck sign said like all that feed sign and uh you know which you know was a i guess a decent choice went over there and got in the stand like 11 45 sat there till dark did not see a single deer dude um and it was as windy as crap i thought i was surfing up there i mean no joke i mean just no joke oh, thankfully that wind was scary man dude it was dude they were and see, the thing was i climbed up that tree it was, it was a big it was, or it was a really good size uh, uh red oak that was there it was the only red oak i saw um climbed up in it uh had uh the, i bought uh four lone wolf custom gear uh full length sticks which are pretty freaking sweet dude i'll say that uh, used those and one, uh, sound approach step got up. And when I was in the tree, the wind's ripping everything. I was like, you know what? I didn't even look around for deadfall, dude. Now I'm looking around cause I'm like, I already had a freaking run into some crap earlier this year. And, <laughs> and dude, I'm looking around I'm like, I'm like, okay, I don't see any. Then I look back behind me and dude, there's these two giant, I'm talking dude. just, I mean, at the base of the tree, I mean, two guys could, couldn't get their arms around these pine trees, dead pine trees. Okay. Oh no! Thankfully, thankfully, I mean, dude, dead. I'm a big trees. I'm like, if they fell my way, they might would hit me. Like, they'd come pretty freaking close. I'd have to spin around the backside of the tree. Uh, oh god! But uh, thankfully, the wind was blowing the opposite direction. Like my wind was kind of blowing back towards it. So I was like, if it falls, hopefully it falls. You know, going with the wind. Uh, but dude, I'm sitting there, and it's like, you know, I've been in the stand for like three hours. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon, at two thirty. And I keep hearing like this like popping noise behind me. I'm like, what is that, dude? And it sounds like something's about to fall. I look back there, and there's this big pine tree. I leaning at like a thirty degree angle, dude. This whole this like being held up by this one oak tree. Oh, and oh. When, the wind, when the wind would go, you hear pop, 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 pop. And I mean, dude, literally, it popped to the point where I'm like, there's nothing else holding it. It's just that oak tree. Like sooner or later, that thing's gonna fall. And uh, it never did. But oh, I was very. Man cautious walking out that and not walking anywhere close to that thing that sounds just like that you remember that big huge pine tree in that swamp that we walked way into before daylight earlier this year uh big huge pine tree on yes the, on the island and it was like leaned up against that oak tree by like a oh jeez oh god yeah that was scary that Leading was right towards like run <laughs> <laughs> when wind's blowing, we look up, you see it moving. I'm like, run! Wind is like, whip it. This, this tree was held on by nothing. Like, it was the sketchiest thing. And we couldn't, get, like, necessarily go around it. Like, we kind of had to, we had to get too close for comfort to go around it. So we're like, just hurry. <laughs> run! <laughs> yeah, pretty much just run past it, dude. Like, don't don't step on a snake and don't get hit by, hit by the fallen tree. Oh, man, that was so, uh, I hate wind like that. Because, uh, man, that was so sketchy on that island. Because we're, like, standing there and it's, wind is whipping. And every few minutes you'd hear a tree fall. And we're like, yeah, we're going to die. <laughs> and the thing about that is, it, I, I think that, I, I've never, to be honest with you, until, like, this year, maybe last year, I never even thought about that. I never thought about deadfall and high winds. Like, never was, like, never was anything that I thought about. But, like, dude, this past, especially this season, dude, I've seen more freaking trees fall down within, like, you know, fairly close to me uh, than I've, I think, ever experienced in my entire life. And maybe it's because of the places we're hunting um, or like that. But, dude, I mean, dude, when I was at my car uh, packing up to get ready to hike in because that temperature dropped, big front came through on Saturday. A tree across the road 
uh, there was uh, like a cove right there, and a big pine tree across the road do fell while I was just getting loaded up. I was like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those days. Okay. So, um, I mean, that's definitely something definitely something to look out for. I mean, I'm looking for – still looking for snakes, dude, because I saw guys posting pictures of snakes. I'm like, I'm still looking for snakes on the ground, looking for dead pulp in the trees. I'm like, man, freaking get a get – dizzy looking up and down so much yeah so. it's good i had like little saplings and vines and stuff around me and like i was getting beat up by these trees around me dude they were like whipping into me i was like this is not fun i almost got oh. down i almost got down but i didn't oh yeah which by the way i just had to put you on the speaker so i'm sorry guys if the audio changed but i had to read something um so by the way these lone wolf sticks i got i bought were uh i actually bought from a, a listener of the podcast i found out uh, his name is Brandon, and uh, me and Brandon were talking. I went over to his house to buy him, and just a quick little trip ended out to be like probably like three hours of talking. And sorry, Brandon, if I got you in trouble with your wife, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jacob, pulled, Jacob does that a lot. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I do that a lot. Uh, but yeah, she pulled up and I was parked right in the middle of the driveway. She calls him like, "Who's in the driveway?" And like, "Oh, that's Jake with the podcast." So anyway, <laughs> um, but that it was hilarious. But one of his buddies, uh, which hold on, got about the one of his buddies, Gabe, uh, who has messaged us a few times on Instagram. Funniest thing ever, dude. Okay, so we're talking. I found out like Gabe's a good friend of uh, a Brandon, uh, which was which was funny. And this is the reason why it was funny. So Gabe, I'm about to read his message. <laughs> So Gabe, uh, just after I guess it was uh, it was this past Monday, he's like he ran into a question. He's like, do I go to uh, do I go to OLV, which is the church I go to? I'm like, yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I thought I saw you there on Christmas Eve, but I didn't want to come and creep out or creep out to you or creep uh, creep out you because uh, I didn't know if that was your look like or something. And I'm like, dude, that would been hilarious. But the funny thing was, he's like, I told my wife that uh, I, I thought that was you from the podcast. I thought I was pretty sure it was you. And uh, she asked if I wanted to go get my picture with you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, no, I didn't want to fanboy that hard. (laughs) (laughs) It was hilarious. But yeah, full circle right there. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude. It's freaking hilarious. I have all the kids uh, get their pictures made with the ginger bow hunter. Oh God, yeah! <laughs> like, oh, forget Santa Claus. Ginger bow hunters here. <laughs> Get your go T-shirt. There you go. Yeah, we need to make that. We're thinking about making a shirt with like a like a goatee on it for Jacob. Real orange, orange goatee, so it counts towards your uh, blaze orange limit when you're on. Oh, yeah. when you're gun hunting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I get people message you all the time. Does your does your mustache or your goatee count for towards your blaze orange? I'm like, unfortunately not. <laughs> oh man, I saw that message. I, I about died. That was funny. Yeah, dude, it was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that that was that. I'm trying to think what else has happened, dude. But that was hilarious though. Um, but uh, anyways, but yeah, Brandon's pretty cool. We'll definitely have to hang out with him uh, next time you're in town. Uh, go smoke some back straps uh, on an old smoker. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I got I got oh. your, that hindquarter. By the way, that yeah. hindquarter that yeah. you gave me. Oh, you shot yeah. a deer. Why aren't we talking about that? Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I shot a deer too. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. So I, by the way, I got a hindquarter from that deer. I put it in a game bag, and yeah. I'm just leaving it in the fridge for like as long as I can stand. Uh, so it's been however many days it's been, and I'm flipping it every like two or three days. 
and it's already got like that good rind on it, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pretty pumped about it. Uh, and awesome. then and then after probably after oh I don't know maybe that gun hunt that uh, that we were talking about doing the week after ATA down here mm-hmm. like the big camp with everybody I mm-hmm. might I might smoke it and bring it down to that camp that's, Ooh. What, that's what I might do so to incentivize you to come down more there's that Dang it, dude. but okay so so you killed a deer let's cover that real quick and then and then wrap this puppy up. Yeah, so uh, we let's see what see what happened. So was, I came down New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. I came down New Year's Eve and uh, hung out with you, Tiffany. Who else was there? Who was the other guy there? I forgot his name. Uh, I apologize. My buddy oh, Clay Collie. Clay, there you go. Clay, and then Colton was there. Um, hung out New Year's Eve. Decided we were gonna go hunting. I brought the freaking the old freaking deer wagon down, so I'm loaded to the gills with everything I need. Uh, gonna go deer hunting the next day. So we wake up. Um, what else we do? What did we woke up? We ran. Well, we smoked a back. We smoked a bacon wrap backstrap, which yeah. was freaking dull. It, it was so good. Uh, bacon. I, listen, there's something to it that like when you have a very fatty piece of meat in the smoker, like that fat really holds that smoke. Mm-hmm. And dude, that bacon around that backstrap, that bacon really held that smoke flavor. And you bite to that back shape. Oh my god, dude! It was so freaking good. Highly recommend it. Anyone listen to the podcast to try oh, that. It it was amazing. And so, and then I also threw like one of those kind of like whatever sirloin from the back ham, uh, mm-hmm. just one of those rump roasts. Um, Get te- the top round or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Uh, seasoned it up the same way as a back strap, but I didn't put bacon on it, and I put it like kind of in the top of the smoker, and I smoked that. For pretty much as long as I smoked the uh, the back strap, but then when I took the back strap out, I just cut the smoker off and closed it real tight, um, and just left that thing in there until it cooled down. And so I got like this beautiful little roast that I uh, sliced thin, and I've been making like sandwiches with it, like little deer sandwiches, dude. Let me tell you, that is some freaking good stuff. I'm definitely going to be doing more of that. Just like a deer sandwich out in the stand in the woods, man. You got some freaking pepper jack cheese on there. Ooh. Son, I don't deserve it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I will say that did turn out freaking so good, dude. And what was that sauce we had? Uh, pick a pepper uh, sauce. Pick a pepper sauce, which is like, I, I feel I feel like I, I feel intoxicated every time I have to say that because I don't feel like you. Whoever came up with that name was not sober when they when they came up with that name. Yeah, you're probably um, right. It's very delicious, though. It is delicious. It's like A1 for men. Sorry, yep. guys. Yeah. And then, A1. <laughs> and then uh, Clay brought some uh, venison bratwurst, which is delicious. Clay also brought me some pretty slick uh, one-step aiders that work great as aiders, but they also work really good as deer drags. As we found out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so we, we stayed up, rang in the new year, rang in the, the roaring 20s. And then uh, we did not wake up on time to go hunt that morning. Starting the decade off lazy, right? Yeah, yeah, I was fast asleep, so. Me too. Um, I didn't even try. I turned my alarm off. I was like, there's no, we went to bed at 2 a.m. I'm like, there's no way I'm waking up in an hour and a half to go hunting. There's just no way. Yep, I agree. And uh, got nice nice sleep that night. Woke up and decided to go get after uh, the last day of doe days on the National Forest. Um which was interesting because we could go out there, we could uh, shoot, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could shoot a doe, any buck, and a pig all in one hunt, right? Like you yep. kill any buck, any doe, and then you can kill as many pigs and coyotes as you want. Yeah, so we were ready to guns blazing. Uh, 
both had the seven mags loaded to the gills with ammo too. Yeah. So, uh, dude went out there and we kind of drove some roads and really just kind of scouted from the vehicle for some cool spots that, you know, you've hunted and you know, kind of had some history with, uh, which was that the first deer hunt you've had out there so far this year or have you been out there before? I'm pretty sure that's the first deer hunt. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, get out there, dude. And, uh, I decided I was going to get up on this, this hillside where it was like a bunch of huge, um, uh, longleaf pines, this massive, 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 like all slut cut. I mean, super thick on the ground. You know, there's areas that weren't so thick, but I mean, you're walking on the ground. It's hard to see in most areas, like the most open spot. There was a couple spots you can see like 20, 30 yards on the ground. And then when I got to my tree, you know, I came to a wall of vegetation that was just, I mean, I could not see past it, dude. And uh, climbed as freaking high as I could in that tree. I took uh, two lone wolf sticks and then 12 sign approach steps. And I used 11 of them um, to get up. I don't know how far, but I maxed out my pull-up rope, which I believe, uh, for some reason, I'm thinking it's a 25-foot pull-up rope, but I feel like I get higher than that. I don't know. You tell me. You walked up on me. Um, hey, you're way up there. I mean, you're at 25 at least. Yeah. But, I mean, I maxed out that pull rope. Like, it was tight pulling on my saddle while I was trying to step up into the on the platform. So, like, <laughs> when I was standing on the platform, everything was hanging off the ground, uh, which was not o- o- overly pleasant. But dude, we got up early, dude. We got up at 11. I was up by 11.45 probably um, sitting mm-hmm. there. Yep. Had the rifle set up. And, you know, a lot of guys were asking, like, oh, man, how comfortable is the saddle? Can you make it three, four, five hours? Dude, I have no issue doing like five, six hour sits like at all on those things. Um, yeah, personally, that's, yeah, in, that's the, in the right tree, it's not, it's not a problem at all. In the yeah, wrong yeah. tree, it's a massive problem. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, you gotta make the best of situation you're in. But dude, I mean, I was so far up there, I could see into like all this super thick stuff, like stuff I could not see like at all on the ground, like could not see walls of vegetation. Uh, you, you know, when you're up that high, I mean, you just see through it all. It's amazing how open it kind of pops open. Um, it had like, a, I was sitting in a corridor where I had a little drainage kind of coming up towards me that kind of stopped, uh, where these massive, um, uh, pine trees were, that's all slut cut. And then just got unbelievable thickness underneath them. And there's a bunch of different edges kind of all came together and it was got up there and, uh, got up on the Instagram story about kind of my setup and kind of talking about like where you were at, which I don't know if you had cell signal uh, or not mu- or much at all. Um, but yeah, dude, heart kept hearing something down below me in that drainage. And, uh, dude, finally I just catch like movement of just a little bit of brown. I'm like, what the, what the, what is that dude? I looked down there and like, I just saw a leg. I was like, I, I think that was a deer, but I'm not sure. It was so thick, dude. It was like, I'm just seeing pieces of a deer and you know, it's probably, you know, 80 yards, hundred yards away from me. And uh, I kept looking. I was like, man, I don't see anything. You know, 15 minutes goes by, and there's like a little brush pile there. I'm like, I don't see anything. So, like, I kind of didn't pay attention to it. I kind of looked around. I kept hearing something down there, threw the binos back up, and then I saw, like, another patch of brown, and it looked like it was just sitting there, like, laying there. I was like, what is that, dude? I mean, you could not see what it was. And finally, it, like, starts working down. It's, like, feeding on all kinds of, like, vines. It's, like, eating off them. And finally, I see a deer. I look at it. I'm like, oh, dude, it's a doe. Awesome. And uh, it's just down there feeding and um, just kind of working around. I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, awesome. Like, you know, I'm definitely going to shoot this thing if it pops out. Um, and it's in a spot that, like, I'm like, I don't know if it's going to come up towards me. Because if it was going to keep working down the side of that drainage, it was going to kind of work towards you but away from me. And um, finally, it makes a move after, like, 30 minutes of it being there, dude. 
and starts coming up the hill and I see it and I, I had one shooting lane. And I, I was going to shoot and couldn't see it very well and it didn't stop. So it kind of kept walking kind of side hill up towards me, uh, or broadside up towards me. And, uh, Finally, it's about to come out through some privet, run into a pretty good opening at about, I don't know, 65, 70 yards. And I had the crosshairs there. And the second it stepped out into it, I just freaking stopped it. Just did the old, did the old meh. And uh, <laughs> gave, my, gave my best all, all do. Uh, she, uh, she stopped and uh, looked at me. And I just squeezed off right behind the shoulder. And the freaking thing hits the ground, starts kicking, and just done. And I'm like, yes, sweet. And like, you know. Uh, was about to text you or whatever, and I looked out there. I was like, "Hold on a second. Who's kicking around?" I'm like, "Hold on a second. I throw my binos up, and I'm like, "Dag, dag on it, dude." I'm like, "I just shot me a spike, and dude, it had <laughs> the cutest little freaking nubs on it, dude." That I mean, I swear, because I had seen that the deer for about thirty minutes. I never saw those things, dude. Never saw those things. Yeah, they uh, they legitimately were small enough where you could definitely miss it. Oh, yeah. Well, like, see, the th- I was telling you, like, so Alabama, that classifies as a buck. We checked it as a buck. But, like, up in Tennessee, there's, like, it's got to be longer than three inches or whatever uh, to classify as an antler deer. If it's under three inches, it would be unantlered uh, or non-antlered. And, uh, anyways, but down here in Alabama, it's antler, it's antler deer if it breaks the hairline. So, whatever. That's why we get three tags. But I was like, man. But I was, like, I was still pumped up, dude, because I got excited about it. I was like, heck, yeah. You know, I came down here. Because that's the first trip. I think I've ever been with you, like gone somewhere and actually killed a deer. Hold on, is that right? I mean, like night whitetail in the state of Alabama. Hold on, let me think about in that. In the state of Alabama, that yeah, might, that on. might be right in the state of Alabama. I, I almost guarantee it. I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I'm ninety nine percent sure that is true. So now other states like Tennessee, we've killed deer in Tennessee together. Uh, of course, Wyoming. Um, that's pretty much it, though. But. uh yeah, dude. Hey, that, that's what I that's what I was telling you earlier because I'm trying to I'm trying to get Jacob to come down the weekend after ATA, so two weekends from now, to, for this big gun hunt that we're gonna do, and I'm gonna be there, and Michael's gonna be there, hopefully, and maybe Tyler. Mark's gonna be there. It's gonna be a great time. Deer are gonna be rutting. There's gonna be crap getting shot left and right. It's gonna be great. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm just bouncing around too much. I'm like, all three of the deer you've killed this year, you've bounced around and killed them in different places. Hundred percent true. Hundred <laughs> percent. I haven't killed anything on the home turf yet. So, but uh, anyway, I'll probably come it down there. Whatever, it'll be fun no matter what. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, killed it and freaking. I'm like, I called you or whatever, and you were already like walking out freaking daily. You're like, well, hurry, get down. You know, let's go get the deer. And I all of a sudden I hear you whistle, and I was not far off the road, dude. Um, no. And uh, I hear you whistle, whatever. And uh, you're back on the road and like kind of like got you come in there. And dude, the thing is, it's so thick in there. The second you got off the road, I could hear you walking to me. Yep. Like that's how thick that crap was that you were coming through. And I was like, man, you would hear deer walking through that, I think. Um, finally get up to the tree and everything. You saw freaking how high I was and got down, got the deer, gutted it, got the call fat out. And people were like, why the heck would you grab that? And uh, yeah, drag it back out, man. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, we had to drag it because uh, we had dinner waiting on us at home, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great time. We gutted it out there and got the call fat, uh, which is something that neither of us have tried. And I, I kept that call fat, and so what I ended up doing with it is uh, I went and got a recipe from Hank Shaw's website uh, and got a meatloaf recipe. And I'm not really a meatloaf guy. I've never eaten it a bunch, but... I needed something to do with this call fat, and I'm like, well, I can make a meatloaf, and instead of putting in like a little dish or whatever, 
I'll just wrap it in this call fat. And so that's what I did. Um, put this meat loaf together and then basically stretched that call fat out on like a cutting board and like just put the meat loaf on top of it uh, and then wrapped that call fat around it and baked it like that. And oh my gosh, dude, was it good. It was delicious. Uh, I, highly I recommend. Gotta, highly recommend. I got to ask, does the call fat do much? Could you tell like a, a flavor preference or anything with that? Like, was um, there like any distinct flavor or was it just good just because he cooked it and it was good? Because I'm was, wondering if you, I'm wondering if you would have done like two different, like I had, I had like a, like your, a, a basic sample where it was like no call fat and then you had the call fat one and there was like a, di- a difference in taste. Here's, um, here's what it, here's what it does. I don't think there is that much of a taste difference. I mean, maybe I ate the call fat. Uh, Tiffany ate some of it. Um, and then some of it, she just took off, but I mean, I ate it. I couldn't tell that big of a flavor difference. Um, really, it, one, it's a texture thing. Uh, but two, the the really the main thing that it does is it's like you can't dry out your meat with it. Like it it keeps your meat really, really, really juicy. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the whole idea behind doing it. And people take take it and like wrap like a roast or something and do a roast, and it's supposed to keep your meat really juicy. And then uh, like. I don't know, form like kind of a, it's almost like a casing. It's actually a lot like a casing, mm-hmm. um, but it's like, it's like made of fat. I guess, I, I, I really don't know how it works, but uh, it definitely worked wonders with that meatloaf. I mean, it was like, dude, it was extremely juicy meatloaf, which was very nice. Uh, and I well, wish I had more. Well, actually I do have more of it in the freezer. I just got to figure out what I'm going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you this. For anyone that's wondering, like, what the heck is call fat if you're listening to the podcast, it's literally, like, the fat that is, like, the lining of, like, the intestines and, like, the stomach and all the internal organs for the most part. Yeah. So it's, like, lining that. You got to pick it off. The thing is, I've heard people. I posted that on, like, Hank Shaw's uh, Hunt, Gather, Cook Facebook page. And a lot of people, or some people were like, oh, like, I had a, they had a horrible experience with it. And I guarantee you the reason why is because when they went to skin the deer, they actually like pop the stomach and some of that stomach content or something got on that yep. uh, call fat. And then they thought they washed it off. They probably didn't do a very good job of that and it made it rancid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you gotta be extremely careful. Not only, well, of course, even on the shot placement because if you get back, even like in the liver, dude, I'd be kind of sketched out. Yeah. Some of that Cause there's a chance to hit the stomach. I, I um, agree with that for sure. Or if your deer's set very long, because that'd be the first thing that goes bad. Anything around the, the internal organs, that's going to be the hottest thing on the deer is going to go bad first. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely like, yeah, I would not want to shoot a deer and like four or five hours later, be trying to get that call fat out. So. Yeah. That's the thing is people, some people are like, Oh, it's gross. But I mean, it's really not. I mean, if you don't touch the guts, like if you don't open up any of the guts, I mean, it's just like any other thing inside of the deer. I mean, it's yeah. just like the heart or the liver or the freaking sirloin or, or whatever. I mean, or like the tenderloins. I mean, inner loins sit right up on the guts, dude. Like yeah, right that's, on that's the exactly guts. right. Now that being said, kind of like what you were just saying, if I even nicked like any part of the guts, I wouldn't even attempt to try and keep the call fat, just because like I don't want to deal with it at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's like a clean shot, like like you know, double lung shot, and you don't get back there any, I mean, I would totally keep it from now on. I, I really, I like, I think it's something useful. I I need to try it more to like really see what I think about it. But I mean, it was like so easy to keep cause you're gutting the animal and it's just right there. You just grab it and throw it in a game bag. Um, and then I, so another thing about it is I just tossed it in the fridge 
because um, I was only leaving it in there for a day before I cooked with it. And when I got it out the next day, it was like kind of dry on the edges, like really dry, like kind of like paper. And I was like, oh, crap, I ruined it. But then I just like ran a little bit of water over it and it like came right back to life and was just like normal again, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. So I don't know. I got some in the freezer. Well, I'll thaw it and, and see what the deal with it is. But I mean, I, I feel like it's one of those things. It's like it's easy to get and I feel like it, it might be worth it uh, to try and get that most of the time. So I'm going to keep messing with it and, and just see what, what I end up with. Yeah. Personally, if you were there or if you weren't there and it was just me, I would not have gotten that. That's just my personal preference. Because person, we we should pull the tongue out too while we were at it. Oh uh, God, I can't believe we forgot I, to do that. I forgot all of I forgot all about that until just now, dude. We had it even back. We dude, no, we got to talk about. It. So we got back to the house, had dinner with the in laws. It was great. Mm-hmm. I, I got a, I got a third wheel like always. Yep. Um, and then we went out and had a fire and actually skinned it by a fire, which was freaking pretty cool, dude. Oh, that was fun. Uh, so deboned it and everything there, but yeah, dude, we should get the tongue out. Which anyone that's probably gross, I'm like, oh god, you eat the tongue. And you can talk about that. First time I ever had tongue was at your house, getting ready when we were about to drive down to Tampa. Um, oh yeah, we were about to oh, drive to Tampa. <laughs> that's the only time I ever had tongue, and yeah, and that was freaking two, three years ago. Yeah. So I've had it anyway. two or three times since then. I mean, it's always been good. I've always liked it. I remember we were all kind of scared to try it, and we all really liked it. Uh, even Grant really liked it, and Grant's not like a like wild game eater or whatever. Yeah, and like as you said, you gotta boil the piss out of it, and then yep. Like explain the system. So anyone's like people are like what the heck? Uh, what did we do? We like we boiled it for like two hours, like straight up two hours, uh, and then you take it out and you you peel. Ice bath. Yeah, you throw it in an ice bath. So you basically blanch it, and then you pull the like the skin off of it. So, like, the gross part, whereas taste buds and everything are, I mean, you, like, skin that off of it. And then you're left with just, like, the piece of meat on the inside. Uh, and if you do it right, that is actually, like, very tender, like, a very interesting texture. It's really good. It really is a really good piece yeah, of meat. I'll agree. It's very it's very good. It's a lot of work, so definitely if you do it, like, it's worth saving up four or five tongues. But it's like a little roast. That's what it comes out to. It's like a little roast. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, like, you just slice it thin, put it in a hot skillet, whatever. Give it a nice crispy edge or something, dude. It's freaking yummy. Yeah, I was thumbing through the uh, meat eater cookbook, uh, trying to figure out what we're gonna cook next, and uh, they had like a tongue sandwich in there. I was like, I'm gonna make that for sure, just to like, just as a conversation thing. I'm sure it'll be delicious, but I'd love to like pull it out at deer camp and be like, Yeah, boys, I got me a deer tongue sandwich right here. <laughs> well, well, we need some deer tongues to make that happen. And right now, I got none in the bank. I got one. Well, I got my whole buckhead in the freezer at home, so I got a. Oh. I got. I could get the tongue out of that thing, I guess. Dude, you know how weird it would be, but I bet you could get a bunch of tongues if you went to a processor and just ask them to pop the tongues out for you. Yeah, you probably could do that. They'd probably look at you like you're, like you're a little goofy, but they'd probably do it. Yeah, they're like, what? what? That's a good <laughs> piece of meat, man. What are you doing? You wasting it? You wasting it, man? Hey, try it up. Um, all right, cool. So we went over my deer I killed. Um, so yeah, I killed a EDB little spike, but dude, it was a fun hunt nonetheless. Um, what else? Let's see what else happened. Um, that's about that's, it. That's about it, dude. It's pretty much ATA coming up. Uh, also, okay, well, we gotta say there's we still got hats available, everybody. Um, if you want a, um, leather patch, Southern Norseman hat, 
they are $30. Uh, feel free to message us uh, to order one. I uh, have a few of those left along with our blaze orange and bordered hats, which are awesome. That's what me and Andrew have been rocking uh, freaking pretty much every time we go in the woods because we have to wear blaze orange right now. And those are $22. So message us if you'd like to order one. We really would appreciate it because it definitely uh, helps support us. And that's one way you can help support uh, what we do here is that. Because, again, kind of coming at this from a, you know, at, at the moment, kind of an unsponsored atmosphere. So we're not getting anybody to pay us or anything. So that's one way we kind of can uh, bring in a little bit of revenue while y'all can help support us. So rocking some Southern Outdoorsman merchandise. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's about it. Everyone uh, go kill deer and then send us pictures of it. We'd appreciate it. Uh, good luck, and I hope everybody has a freaking awesome year. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.